I'm Brian Park. I'm Matt Ruiz. And welcome to the first episode of season three of ACM AI's You Belong in AI podcast, presented by UCLA ACM AI Outreach. You Belong in AI interviews inspiring individuals in the AI community about their background and their thoughts on the importance of representation and diversity in AI. Today, we'll be interviewing Virginia Adams. Virginia Adams is a machine learning engineer and is currently working at NVIDIA as a deep learning applied scientist on the conversational AI team. She received her bachelor's degree in computer science from MIT in 2018. Virginia also worked as a machine learning engineer at the MITRE Corporation. She was involved in a STEM mentorship program at MIT and is a strong proponent of the environment, education, and science and technology. Virginia, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Okay, so before we get into your career in AI, our first segment is going to be basically about your education and background. So our first question is basically, what were you like growing up? What were you interested in both academically and non-academically during grade school and all the way through high school? Uh, so like growing up in, in grade school, I was one of those kids that really liked to ask why a lot. Like I know like little kids can be annoying, they keep asking why. Um, but my dad is one of those people that really likes to answer why <laughs> and so like I would ask questions like how does the tv like why does the tv turn on or like how does the light work stuff like that and my dad would be like uh really into explaining how it works with like hand-drawn diagrams and he would just like talk to me about it for an hour um so I would say I was like really curious and I also really like to do like creative projects like building something um at the time, I didn't really know about computer science or anything like that, so I didn't have any projects associated with my current career, but I really just like to do crafts and like make, I was really into like making clothes or like making diagrams and things like that, so yeah. Awesome, that's really cool. And what led you to study computer science? Was there like a specific moment or story that you would like to share that made you realize that CS was for you? Yeah, so um, so I really didn't know what computer science was until I got to college, until I got to MIT. Um, and I honestly didn't know really what was going on with computer science until my sophomore year. So I started MIT thinking I was gonna be a bioengineer. And so I declared bioengineering. Um, but you have to take, at least at the time, you, you were required to take an intro to computer science class as part of the bioengineering major. Um, and then when I took this class, it was like, my first time ever writing a line of code. And I was like, wait, this is really cool. Like um, the ability, like I didn't realize that you had the ability to create something like a program or something like that really quickly uh, and have it be something that's like immediately useful for people. Like I thought that was so cool. And I, yeah, I didn't realize it existed until I took that class. So. Oh, and, and then I guess I, I decided to switch majors <laughs> and study computer science like the next semester. Uh, yeah, once I, once I discovered computer science, really so the wide applicability of it, yeah. Awesome, that's really cool. And how was it transitioning from your hometown, which is near Dallas, to MIT in Cambridge? Um, did you have any difficulty with culture shock, with the location or demographic change? And if so, how did you handle that? Uh, yeah, so I mean, the, the obvious thing is just like weather differences. Like I had never really been in like a blizzard before. I'd never really like been with extreme snow. so. That was like something to adapt to, but in terms of like culture shock, yeah. So I I didn't realize the kind of 
backgrounds that a lot of other kids maybe had in high school. Like for example, my high school didn't offer AP classes or anything like that. Like I had never heard of like science Olympiad or math Olympiad. Um, and it was like something that pretty much every kid knew about or participated in when I first went to MIT. And so there was a bit of like immediate imposter syndrome when I showed up, like feeling like, oh, I, I uh, already feel so behind even though we're all freshmen just because of like uh, kind of like the backgrounds and the, the schools that we went to and stuff. So that was definitely something that I had to overcome, but uh, there, I wasn't the only one who came from, uh, you know, like a high school like mine or like a city like mine. And so I made friends who had similar backgrounds to me, but also uh, at the end of the day, you know, we were all freshmen, like we're all here to learn. And so just because our starting points, I realized just because our starting points are different, like doesn't mean we can't end up at the same place. So. Yeah, I agree with that. And going back to how you got into CS, um, why did you choose to dive deeper into machine learning? Was that a field of CS that you were interested in going into college or did your experience at MIT shape you into pursuing AI? Yeah, so I think uh, my experience at MIT um, is what like led me to pursuing machine learning. So I'd always been really interested in like language and language learning. Like I tried to teach myself Chinese when I was a kid. And uh, when I realized that there was this intersection between language and like computer science, like that I didn't at all know it existed. Um, I was like, oh, this is exactly like this, this intersection combines two really cool things that I want to work on. And so that's, that's how I got into machine learning. So like through natural language processing. Yeah. Awesome. And for our last question of the segment, did you run into any obstacles or feel underrepresented as a female minority in a predominantly male major slash field? Yeah, so I think, uh, most of my obstacles were like not directly like someone being like, oh, you don't belong or something like that, but mostly just uh, like self-imposed imposter syndrome. Like often uh, I'm like the only woman and the only like underrepresented minority in like a conversation at work or like in general in both of my jobs that I've had. Um, and also just getting started in the field. I feel like maybe like because I come the type of high school I went to and the type of town I come from, like maybe my like physics background or math background wasn't the same place as other people's who maybe it was like geared towards computer science. And so like, though that's not directly because I'm a minority and a woman, I think those two things are related, like the type of town that I come from and me being a minority. So I think it impacted like kind of the speed in which I could get started in computer science and machine learning. Yeah, like there is more of a uh, learning curve. Awesome, thank you. And that wraps it up for the first segment. Our next segment is going to be about your professional involvement at NVIDIA, which I will pass on to Matt. Awesome, thanks, Brian. Um, so yeah, this next section is gonna focus more on your professional involvement at NVIDIA. Uh, but before we get there, before we get to your work at NVIDIA, I had a big question for you. I noticed that you had a lot of internship experience throughout college, specifically with ML work. And I know for myself, it's I find it difficult to uh, get machine learning internships um, as an undergraduate. So do you have any tips on like how to get these internships as, as an undergraduate, especially without a master's degree? Yeah, so probably the main thing is like to do, try and do research with a professor. So like before I had a, even a single internship, um, I reached, I like scoured the, the like email threads at MIT looking for to see if any professor was like interested in working with an undergraduate student and doing some kind of like research project. Uh, and so fortunately, 
uh, I found uh, Julie Shaw's lab in Seasail at MIT, and she was doing like an NLP focus project, her and her graduate student, Brittany Johnson. Um, and so I, that was like my first machine learning experience generally, or like my first AI experience generally was working with them. And I think having that on my resume helped me get like more machine learning based internships. Yeah. Nice, nice. That's good advice. Then I guess going on to your work on NVIDIA. So if the audience doesn't know, Virginia works as um, a deep learning scientist at NVIDIA. So I was going to pose the question, how did you get the opportunity to work on NVIDIA? Or how did it present itself? Uh, were there any like products that attracted you to the company or? Yeah, so uh, before working at NVIDIA, I was working at MITRE um, as a, uh, on the computer vision team. Uh, okay, wait, actually, let me just tell you like the, the progression. So yes, it is like hard to get into research and like machine learning stuff without a graduate degree. And so when I was first graduating college, um, I didn't immediately want to go to grad school. So I was like, let me just get any like research job that I can get. Uh, and so uh, I ended up working at MITRE for two years on the computer vision team. But really, like I said earlier, my interest was always in natural language processing. So at MITRE, I kept trying to propose like uh, projects that intersected uh, with com computer vision and natural language processing. Um, and so basically I, I was able to gain some like industry NLP experience um, working full time. Uh, and then a recruiter reached out to me from NVIDIA just like on LinkedIn and said, hey, uh, a couple of managers at NVIDIA saw your, your, experiment, your experience in your resume and stuff and they're interested in working with you. Are you interested in like interviewing to be on our conversational AI team? And I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah, so basically someone reached out to me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, and I think like my in, uh, internship experience and like my previous full-time job basically is why she reached out, yeah. Interesting, interesting. And you mentioned the conversational AI team. So can you explain what to the audience what conversational AI is and kind of like the role you play on that team? Yeah, so conversational AI is basically the application of a combination of natural language processing, automatic speech recognition and text-to-speech, just things like for, uh, voice assistants or chatbots or um, like voice command systems, things like that. Uh, translation systems, machine translation systems, things like that, yeah. Awesome. And like, what kind of role do you play on the team? So I uh, focus on natural language processing specifically. Uh, so I've worked on machine translation at NVIDIA. Um, our team entered the like big machine translation competition that happens every year, WMT. Uh, and I worked on like Russian to English and English to Russian translation. Um, also, I've worked on like domain adaptation for machine translation. So um, you can have like a general machine translation model that can maybe translate this type of conversation, but it might not be uh, work as well for translating like medical documents or like really technical papers or something like that. Um, and so I worked on a project adapting our general machine, machine translation models to these like specific domains. More recently, I've been working on just general, uh, large generative language models, like different applications with those. Yeah, I, I can give specific examples if you want, but I, I, yeah, that's what I work on in the video. Interesting, thank you. Then I guess like since you're at the forefront of this technology, um, are there like, what are like some of the current issues that um, the field's facing, maybe in terms of bias or performance or whatever it may be? Yeah, so I think, uh, probably one of the biggest issues is like controlled text generation. So like I said, I work with basically just really large language models in general and getting them to do a bunch of different tasks. And so like there's this trend where 
you right now where everyone's trying to like make these larger and larger language models and they just uh, generative language models and uh, they want to use them for different tasks, but it's like hard to get them to do exactly what you want and it's hard for them to be predictable. So like, for example, if you want this uh, generative language model to do question answering, um, sometimes you can ask it a question and sometimes it'll give a really great detailed answer to your question and sometimes it'll write a story about unicorns and that's not like what you really want. So control text generation, um, certainly, and that even plays into things like uh, like toxicity of the model. like because these models are trained on basically all of the, the text on the internet. And so you can imagine the internet maybe has some things that aren't what you would want to say to like a friend or something. It, it, it has kind of like toxic language, right? And so even getting the model to not generate toxic language, things like that, I think are still definitely a challenge. Then I guess like one question, uh, just generally outside of work. Um, so at NVIDIA, you live in Santa Clara, but you mm -hmm. mentioned that you went to school at MIT in Cambridge. Yeah. Um, how was that transition from the East Coast to West Coast? Any, any, with the weather um, or whatever, maybe? The West Coast is really nice, <laughs> I will say. I mean, so, okay, so the, I actually, so I lived in the, on the East Coast for a while. I went to school at, at, in Boston, Cambridge area, and then I moved to DC for two years. Um, but then when the pandemic hit, I was like, I don't actually need to live here. <laughs> like I can live wherever I want. Uh, so I actually moved to Puerto Rico for like uh, a little bit and then I moved to Dallas because that's where I'm from and I could like be near my parents while I could work remotely. So I kind of like took a roundabout route and then I moved to Santa Clara. Yeah, I like warm weather. I don't know. I, I think that uh, everywhere there's interesting people, but not everywhere there is good weather. So I like, <laughs> I like California. Very true, very true. All right. Well, that concludes our section on uh, professional involvement. Um, we're going to quickly transition to our Next section, um, it's 10 epochs. Okay, so the first question is, uh, what's your favorite programming language? Uh, Python. Okay. TensorFlow or PyTorch? PyTorch. Uh, what was your favorite hobby to do before the pandemic and also during? Uh, favorite before is like travel and hang out uh, on uh, Friday nights with friends, things like that. Uh, during, uh, I really got into audiobooks and going on, on long walks, yeah. Awesome. Then what's the favorite computer science class you've taken? Probably my machine learning class, as cliche as that is, yeah. Then what's a country that's on your bucket list to visit? Singapore. Awesome. Then when was the time that you felt most fulfilled in your career so far? Uh, probably right after I started working at NVIDIA and I finished my first project. I, I had some imposter syndrome getting hired. Uh, but then when I finished my first project and people were like, oh, good job, I was like, okay, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. Yeah. Uh, West. Nice. Then East Coast or West Coast? Then what's your go-to takeout place? There's this Chinese restaurant called Cupertino Local Cafe. I don't even, it's like the menu is a bunch of random stuff, but they're open really late. And uh, I really like to order the beef, minced beef with a fried egg. Yeah, I don't even know what this, where this dish is from, but it's really good. <laughs> Sounds good. Then lastly, uh, what's a figure or mentor in the AI community that you admire the most? Uh, I really like uh, Yejin Choi's work. She is a professor at University of Washington and she does like multimodal stuff. So combining uh, computer vision 
uh, with language. Yeah, I think her work is really cool. Awesome, thank you. All right, that wraps up our section on 10 epochs with Virginia Adams. Um, I'll be passing it on to Brian right now to go over uh, the next section. Awesome, thank you, Matt. So our next section is going to further elaborate on your other professional endeavors. So our first question is about your internship in China for Tencent, where you worked on a mini chatbot for WeChat. So could you explain how you came about combining your passion for the Chinese language with technology? Specifically, what made you learn want to learn a new um, language? Uh, okay, so where I'm from, like pretty much uh, no one speaks, uh, people speak uh, English and Spanish basically. Um, but my family like only speaks English. And so first when I realized that people speak other languages, like as a kid, I realized people speak other languages besides English. I was like mind blown. I was like, what would that even sound like? I'm so confused. But then I realized, right? Like there's this whole community of people or there are several large communities of people that uh, where English isn't their first language. And one thing that I, I really like about language in general is like its ability to you know, capture meaning in, in life. And I thought like learning a new language is a way to make more like deeper connections with people um, who don't speak my native language. And so that was my initial interest. I was like, wow, there's this, there's billions of people who speak Chinese. It'd be really cool to, to like have a conversation with them and like have me a meaningful friendship with them. And I think like learning Chinese would be a good way to like make that connection. Yeah. That's so cool. And just as a follow-up, um, how was living and working in China? Do you have any cool stories from there? So when I was working at Tencent, uh, this is just like a thing that I don't really think exists at U.S. tech companies. Um, they have like pretty like imposed nap time, like right after lunch. So people have like cots and stuff that they bring uh, into the office. And like right after we get, we would all go to lunch as a team, right after we get back from lunch, like my manager just like turned the lights off. And my very first day, I didn't know this was going to happen. So I was just like, all right, back to work. And then I managed to turn off the lights and he just like says to everybody like sleep. <laughs> and that was really funny. I, I did not expect it, but it was a daily occurrence. And I uh, honestly, I feel like America should adopt that because <laughs> it was nice. Yeah, I agree. And for our next question is more general, but in your opinion, what kind of characteristics make for a great machine learning engineer? What, kind, what can they do to maximize the benefit that their work has on the people and other communities? Yeah, so uh, what makes a good machine learning engineer, I think is, so one, the, the ability to read a paper and implement that paper, I think is like a really a key skill. Um, and then two is like reading a paper and then understanding what gaps there are between like this academic research that you're reading and like what needs to be done for this to be something that people use every single day. Uh, and in that, like, you know, obviously there's like engineering challenges, but also, you know, things like bias and fairness of the model, like those are things you have to think about that maybe uh, the initial technical paper doesn't like explore or mention. Awesome. Thank you. And this is going back to your interest in uh, language. So you mentioned that getting computers to understand natural human language is one of your favorite areas in CS. Why is that important for you? And how can it help promote inclusivity in our communities? What is the beauty in having computers understand our language? Yeah, so I mean, back to when I was a kid growing up, like trying to learn a different language, like uh, language is how we communicate everything. Well, 
I get, I mean, there's body language also and, and there's pictures and stuff like that, but it's a very, uh, one of the main tools in which we communicate ideas and feelings and really anything that happens in our lives. And I think having a computer have that same ability to understand like what we want and like what we're communicating to it and also having it have the ability to communicate back to us like why it's making a decision so for example like self an autonomous vehicle or self-driving car right like it doesn't necessarily need to go to the top but if it could communicate what's happening uh in its algorithm like i think both of those things are extremely useful yeah so um yeah does that answer your question i'm not sure if i got to all of the parts of it yeah, that's a really good answer. Thank you. And for our next question, out of all of the projects that you've worked on, um, this can be including in your time in college and at companies, what has been the most enjoyable project? Yeah, I really like a lot of things I do, but I mean, I guess one thing I'm working on right now uh, is a, I'm working on this thing called prompt tuning. Uh, so like I said, people have been uh, focusing on getting these really large language models to do a bunch of different tasks right now like the way you get a language model to do something is you have to like prompt it um but people have found that like manually engineering the right sequence of words to get the model to output what you want is really challenging um and so prompt tuning is like a continuous like um yeah like a, it's a different type of prompt that doesn't use discrete words uh but instead you have like these uh, virtual tokens that you prepend before your your actual text um input uh, and so you can basically like update the parameters of these virtual tokens to kind of guide um, what the model generates. And so I'm working on that right now. Um, and I think the applicability of it is pretty cool. So basically, it's a lot, it allows you to kind of like fine tune a model without having to fine tune all of its parameters. So like some of the models we work with are billions of parameters. Um, and so it's like really an efficient way to, to fine tune a model. And also it allows the model to be able to do a bunch of different tasks. Um, without having to change all of the model's parameters. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how I just got too technical with you guys, but I, it's a really cool project, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds super interesting. Um, and yeah, I think that wraps it up for this segment, so I will pass it back to Matt. Awesome. And yeah, no worries about being too technical is a pretty interesting answer. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into our next section, um, talking about the future representation of AI. Um, so I kind of want to kick it off with uh, one question is, why is there a need for diversity within AI engineering teams and how can like the issue of not having diversity uh, in people and thought be detrimental to like a product? Yeah, so uh, I mean, like if you, why is there a need for diversity? Like if you want to make a product for everyone, then you kind of need everyone's input. Like there are definitely like cultural things and just like practical things that you might miss uh, for like a whole pe person group uh, if you don't have a person in that group also on the engineering team. So like one classic example is like, I don't, I don't remember what company this was, but like when facial recognition first came out, they had only tested the model on like, like a very small subset of people to where like whenever the model saw like a black person's face, it couldn't recognize it as a face, like things like that. Like if they just had one black person on the team, like maybe this whole like, uh, issue wouldn't have happened. So things like that. Um, specifically within conversational AI, there are, even for native English speakers within America, there are a bunch of different accents and like uh, phrases and, and cultural things that 
maybe won't be captured in a, a certain data set. And I think being able to see this and point it out is like something that's really important. And having someone on the team from those communities is a way that you can ensure that, or help ensure that um, pretty much every every person group is uh, taken into account when making different conversational AI products. Yeah. Awesome, that's a great answer. Um, then my next question is, do you have like a message to young students that maybe like on the edge of deciding whether to pursue CS or artificial intelligence? And do you have any motivation or advice that you'd like to give to them? Yeah, I mean, you can definitely do it. <laughs> like it's, um, don't, I, I think it could be, seem a little overwhelming when you get started, getting started with anything seems overwhelming, but if you just take it like, you know, one day at a time um, and you don't need to be perfect, it's okay to make mistakes, but as long as you just keep pursuing this and, and you really enjoy it, I think, uh, definitely like you can have a space in this field and it is for you and it, it's not just for, um, yeah, it is for you. So. Awesome. Then I guess like going into like the next 10, 25 years, where do you see the AI and ML industry um, progressing towards maybe in terms of like the number of jobs or the amount of responsibility or applicability and like maybe like what are some of the precautions um, that you have for that? Dang, that's a really hard question. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, what do I think the industry will look like in terms of jobs? I think that's really hard to predict because I think it depends on like how far we get with what we're trying to do. Like for example, um, every, I think a lot of people, even if that aren't in the field are like nervous about AI taking away other jobs. So for example, autonomous vehicles, maybe truck driver jobs won't exist anymore, things like that. Um, but I think that like as we solve some of these problems like self-driving cars, uh, machine translation, as those things become more and more like solved, there are going to be other even bigger problems that we're not working on right now that we need people to work on. So uh, I would say I'm pretty optimistic that uh, there will be an increasing number of jobs in this field as uh, other jobs maybe uh, start to decrease, yeah. So. Probably in the next 25 years, like, I mean, that's probably going to happen. <laughs> I don't know, though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that wraps up our section on the future of AI. Um, we're going to be transitioning to our last section, um, just some final concluding questions. Um, so one question I've had for you is uh, you've worked at all these cool companies, worked on a lot of cool projects with AI, uh, but are there any personal projects that you have at the back of your head or just that are just waiting to come out, um, or any passion projects they have in mind? Yeah, like I really want to make my own like thematic chatbot. Like I, um, like I said, I really like I really like reading in general, and I really like audiobooks. Um, I I think it'd be really cool to try and train a chatbot like on the dialogue of so like Harry maybe like Harry Potter or something like a really long series where lots of characters talk. It'd be cool to have like a Hermione Granger chatbot or something like that, where like she answers or it answers questions like as if it was the character. Um, and I've also really gotten into Blender recently. And so it'd be cool to have like a like little avatar that is integrated with this type of chat on it. It's something that I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I work on as a side project, just like for fun, yeah. Sounds awesome, sounds very interesting. Jumping off where we, one of the previous questions, but do you have an idea of where you see yourself in the next 10 years career-wise? Um, maybe like starting a company or? Yeah, so I mean, it would be, I'm not gonna say it would be cool. I I see myself being the leader of like a research team uh, in the next 10 years, uh, maybe an industry, maybe in academia. 
I'm going to grad school this fall. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see where this goes. Awesome. All right. Then for one last question, um, for branding, can you please yell, you belong in AI? Okay. Uh, you belong in AI. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of You Belong in AI. This episode was made possible by UCLA ACM AI Outreach. Again, my name is Matt Ruiz, and I was co-hosted today with Brian Park, and our guest was Virginia Adams, currently a deep learning scientist at NVIDIA. This episode was edited by Jason Jewick, and the music is by Kevin McLeod and is called Cherry Monday. <laughs>